What you need under hands and heels. Clicked up now and put up a length. KGB Lincoln Square for Suto. And then Starconi. What you need with 125 to go. Kicked away. Now given a slap with the persuader. Led by three lengths. And what you need for Ben Mellum. How impressive was that? What you need has won it well from the stable mate KGB. Hello, punters. Welcome to a big, big week of tongue-tied. Uh, I'm a little bit tongue-tied there, mate. Uh, we've got Group 1 Racing in two states again this weekend and uh, Group 1 Racing at two venues across Victoria on Friday and Saturday night with the William Reid and the Australian Cup. And one man who has two runners in both of those is uh, is Michael Kent Jr. from the Price Kent Racing Team. How are you, Michael? I'm very well, Nick. And yourself? Yeah, I'm going well. Uh, it'd be good if I can get some words out, but we're getting there slowly. It is a Thursday afternoon. <laughs> it is, it is. I know. Why, why do you think we named it? It wasn't for the gear change. <laughs> um, but, yes, it, it is a big week in racing. Um, we've got the full chat over in members only um, if you want to go over there and listen to the full preview. Uh, but, mate, we were just talking about a, a couple of nice horses this weekend. Uh, we might just quickly start with the, the runners in the Group 1. We'll just briefly touch on them. Um, he's a shocker in the Australian Cup. You're giving him a nice each-way chance. Yep, second up, drawn better. And uh, should have gone very close to the McKinnon at this track and distance in the spring behind Zaki. So uh, he'll improve sharply in this race and uh, certainly an each way chance. Yep. And we've got a case of you going around in the William Reid on Friday night, uh, first start in Australia. Of course, a two time Group One winner, but you're just thinking that he might need the run. Yeah, I think so. Um, not saying he can't win because uh, he's a classy animal, but um, mm. good race, good speed on. I'd say you'll settle rear of midfield and be working home into the first four. Um, he's had three jump outs. Mark Zara likes the horse. Happy to ride him. That's a good lead. Blinkers yeah. gone for the first time. So I think you run well, but um, we're hopeful more than confident. Lovely. They're the two group one runners for the uh, Price Kent camp this week. Mate, let's get stuck into it. Um, if my research serves me correctly, you started out, well, of course, you, you've come from a, a big line of racing uh family and you, you've been around, I suppose, you're destined to end up being uh, in the racing industry somewhat, but started out as a picnic rider and took out a trainer's license? Yeah, exactly. You could say it was in the blood, um, had no choice. Uh, yeah. Both my grandpas were trains as well as my dad and um, I could probably ride before I could walk and uh, dad made me go to university and I appeased my parents' wishes by um, doing a Bachelor of Science at Melbourne Uni, but never had much interest Um as they say, peas get degrees, and I just got through. Yeah. Um, I was actually living at college off of Melbourne University, and when all the um, kids were coming back home from parties, I was getting up to go to track work at Lindsay Park <laughs> at uh, Flemington and ride work there for David Hayes, and um, consequently missed a couple of lectures between 8 and 9 o'clock when I was having a little nap. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was sort of, um, you know, uh, I did that, uh, and then... As soon as I'd finished uni, I was very keen to get stuck in the picnics. Um, I weigh about 67 kilos, so I couldn't – well, I wasn't probably good enough anyway, but I couldn't be a jockey, so I was an amateur jockey. Yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed that aspect of riding my own horses but also training a few. So I trained a couple underneath my dad's name and then took out my own license, actually, where I had my grandfather um, who would saddle horses up for me in the mornings before dad's and I'd ride them and um, – of course, as a young buck, you try and do everything opposite to your dad, uh, yeah. which usually failed. Um, <laughs> but it was a great way to cut my teeth. Um, had a lot of fun. Uh, picnic racing is fantastic and so vibrant in Australia. And 
the crowds were often bigger than most midweek meetings. So I had a lot of fun there. And then um, I went off to Newmarket again, pushed by my father to get out of Australia and go and learn off the best in Newmarket. And for those who don't know, Newmarket in England is essentially the epicenter of horse racing in the world. Just about it's where racing began under rules 400 years ago. And um, working for William Haggis, who Australians should know pretty well by now. He was my boss for over 12 months and I, I worked underneath him and that was a fantastic experience. Um, but not only seeing how he trains, but you could be immersed in Newmarket and see Sir Michael Stout, John Gosden, all these famous trainers, Godolphin. Um, I was able to ride so I could run all the famous gallops and um, that was an incredible experience. And I was there at the same time as a lot of um, the young lads at the moment coming through Australian racing, uh, as in, you know, Dave Eustace, Calvin McAvoy, mm-hmm. Sam Freeman, Ben Hayes. We're all there at the same time. It's a really good um, environment to be in. We learned a lot, had a lot of fun. And um, yeah, so then when I came back to Australia, um, I was working for dad. Dad said, look, son, it's too hard to be a horse trainer. You should go and be a bloodstock agent instead. Yeah. So, um, and I'm glad he gave me that advice because I, I think uh, more than half the battle in our game is finding the right athletes. Once you've got a black caviar or a winks to train, it makes your job a lot more easier. Yeah. Um, training a V12 rather than a V4, you know, it, it makes your job easier. So um, for three years, I was doing bloodstock work and that's really helped me now. Um, and that was a big part of why Mick Price, I suppose, identified me um, I had that sort of bloodstock knowledge and that's a big part of what my job is now is, you know, recruiting fast horses and that's um, yeah. such an important part of our game. So yeah, there, there was a point there where I was still writing work for dad and doing some bloodstock work. And I was at the sales in Sydney four years ago, February, and uh, I got a call from Mick Price. I'd been managing a few horses for a client and we had a horse in work with Mick. So I'd been speaking to Mick off and on, and um, he must have liked me. So he picked the phone up and said, um, on the back of Luke Wilkinson, his racing manager, leaving to Yulong. So we needed someone to sort of fill that void. And yeah. he called me and said, Michael, where are you? I said, I'm at Newgate looking at yearlings. He said, I'll be there in two seconds. So uh, he came down and as Mick does, he doesn't um, mess about. He just looked me straight in the eyes and says, do you want to be my training partner? And um, I was so taken aback. It was so out of the blue. You just never would have. Yeah imagine that uh, as being a reality um uh, naturally uh, mix it i'll give you 24 hours to think about it so naturally i was very excited i spoke to all my inner circle and everyone said you've got to take that opportunity it's a huge one mick has been a top three train for the last 15 years you know 38 group one winners stallion maker so um yeah i got it with both hands and it's been four years now and um i'm Glad to say that things have just improved every year. I think, um, you know, we're training. We're tra- Not that Mick, Mick's always been a fantastic trainer, but I think um, he, even he would say that we're sort of more organised and things are going better. And I think he's really enjoying the partnership. So I think it's really working well. And, yeah, long may it continue. Absolutely. Is it always something you wanted to sort of to end back in uh, horse training or were you – you know, if he hadn't approached you, would you have been more than happy staying as a bloodstock agent for a, a little while longer? No, nah, I was always going to be a trainer, but um, mm. it was such a vital part of what I know now, as I mentioned before. Um, you know, you could be the best trainer in the world, but if you're training um, 
mediocre horses. You won't be able to show off your ability. So training so much more than just being a good horseman. And I credit my dad for teaching me everything in that regard. He's one of the most amazing horsemen you'll meet. Yeah. Um, but at these this day and age, you've got to be a good horseman. You've got to be a good selector of horses. You've got to be a good businessman. You've got to be good at marketing, um, at socializing. So there's so much more to it. You can, yeah. you, know, you need to go and identify the good horses, then also be able to pay for them. So you need to be able to, you know, entertain clients and get them on board and, you know, yeah. engage with them. So there's so much more to it. You can't just be a good horse person these days. And um, so I think everything I, I've done along the way is really, help mold me into um, into what I am today. Yeah. You mentioned being over in, in Newmarket with a lot of the young trainers that we've seen, uh, that we see in Victoria at the moment. And you look in the Sydney's jockey room where you've got young apprentices like Zach Lloyd, Dylan Gibbons, Tyler Schiller, who wrote his first group one winner on the weekend. And they're all so competitive with one another, but very good mates. Are you guys sort of like that? There's, I notice in the Victorian training ranks at the moment, there's a, seems to be a lot of uh, training partnerships like yours with Mix, where it might be one younger and one slightly older. Or um, Do you notice that? Is there still a lot of camaraderie or is it quite competitive down there at the moment? Yeah, it's a good mix of both. Yeah, uh, we're all bloody competitive, but at the same time, we all, you know, give each other a pat on the back when um, each other wins a group one or, or something like that. So a lot of, a lot of banter, no doubt, a lot of um, tipping. And, uh, you know, if you get one wrong, you get a, yeah. <laughs> get a, get a bit of stick. Um, yeah. So it's good. Yeah. I, I think um, as you say, the partnership thing, I think that really works when it's a master and an apprentice, yeah. much the same as it's Gay and Adrian, Kieran and Dave, Steve O'Day, Matt Hoisted, Griffiths de Kock, yeah. Um, of course, you've got the father-son partnerships with Sam and Anthony and Calvin and Tony. And um, Mick and I, it works so well that way. You know, I think, um, I don't know how it would work when you've got two guys similar age who brings what to the table. I think it really works that, you know, you have one captain who steers the ship at the yeah. end of the day. So ultimately that the last decision rests with Mick. You know, he's um, it's his business. He employs me and, um, you know, I give him a lot of counsel. So yeah, it works really well. I think uh, talking about sort of two people at the same age, butting heads, we had J.D. Hayes on last week and, of course, uh, a bit of brotherly love, I suppose. But uh, he said that, you know, it was certainly a challenge when they first started out um, going off on their own. They had to, you know, come up with ways to make it work. So no doubt plenty of interesting dynamics. (laughs) Definitely. Well, they're brothers, so it's probably a bit bit different. And I'm I'm sure Ben's the senior one there. You know, he's the the elder one training a bit longer, so... Yeah, anyway, that would be um, a very different dynamic. 100%. Uh, uh, Michael, last weekend we had I'm Thunderstruck go around in the All-Star Mile. Uh, he was probably a little bit disappointing at face value, but we find out after that he pulled up with heat stroke. Um, what's that mean for him in terms of the rest of the Autumn Carnival? Does he push on to a Doncaster or Queen Elizabeth, or uh, is he in the paddock? Yeah, it's probably the worst run he's put in for us in a long while, and I know he had a tough run in the race as he was on the speed and exposed early, but the normal Thunderstruck would still stick on and be beaten two or three lengths, not being beaten six. So straight away, we knew there was something not quite right with the horse. I went straight up to see the horse and he had severe heat stress. Uh, it's a bit akin to when you see those ultra marathon runners across the line and they're, you know, he was almost a little bit staggery, um, losing a bit of coordination, but thank you to the RVL vets 
there was probably five of them up there and we just hosed him down every two minutes, scraped him off, hosed him down, scraped him off yeah. and just to try and cool him down. Like it was 37 degrees there. So it was warm and he's a hot horse. So he just cooked. Um, but after half an hour, he was totally fine, happy, sound, happy. He ate up overnight. Um, and even this morning, so four days later, he was bucking his brands off again. So he seems really good. Um, yeah. At this stage, the plan... And we don't think that will affect him going forward. At this stage, the plan is to go to the Queen Elizabeth. That's always been our plan. He yeah. is entered for the Doncaster. Um, so, yeah, that, that's the plan. Queen Elizabeth, but it's going to be one hell of a race. So, um, look, he only got touched off a tiny bit by Animo in a couple of those big ones. So, if you, if you found his form of last spring, you'd be saying he's in with a really good chance and shouldn't be the odds he is but certainly off his last run, he needs to improve. There's been a few people, I suppose, maybe not necessarily knocking him because he is, of course, going around in the top level. But when he gets, I suppose, I think we a lot of punters in Australia, they do it as soon as a horse starts to put a few losses together when they're, they're going out favourite, they start to knock a horse. I'm Thunderstruck. He's one that um, for a long time there, he sort of had a, a racing pattern that I suppose we don't really see a lot of horses win. The stats are against them, but... Um, where does he go in the spring? Does he does he go back to to chase that Cox Plate uh, as soon as he got so close last year, or does his? Um, I suppose I've, I've had got a little bit of a theory being by shocking and getting that little bit older. Will we start to see him sort of stretch out a little bit further, and could a race like the Caulfield Cup be uh, one to target with him? Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Um, I think he was a false favourite in the first two Group Ones. Yeah. Um, He's had, if people looked at the stats, he's had nine starts over 1,400 for one win. And that was at Flemington as a three-year-old against inferior opposition. So yeah. he's, he's by shocking, he won a Melbourne Cup. Yeah. And as you mentioned, I think after three runs in the spring over 2,000, 2,000, 2,000, they come back less sharp than previous preparations. Like we've trained him to get more ground. We weren't at all trying to win those races. It's not our fault he's favourite, you know. So yeah. we were just trying to get him fit for the All-Star Mile. Um his mile record prior to Saturday was exemplary. Like I think he had six runs between 1,500 and a mile for four wins in two seconds, all at the yeah. top level. That's a yeah. Golden Eagle, a Turak, a Maccabi, you know. So that's a big races over the mile, which is um, – I think he's sweet spot, a high-pressure mile. Um, yeah. But he's shown to be very competitive now at 2,000. So, look, unless you're Animo or Winks, very hard to keep winning these big yeah. group ones, you know. They're – there's not much between these really good horses and mm. it's a great bunch of horses at the moment that we can enjoy this competition between the likes of Brightside, Alligator Blood, Thunder, and they sort of take their turn in winning, you know, um, yeah. the right run, who's best on the day. I'm sure Brightside wasn't going as well as he is this preparation. We had his measure most of last campaign. This yeah. campaign, he's run better than us all three runs and that's what sort of, you know, they don't always come up as good as they do last campaign. Mm. So He's a beautiful sound gelding. And I think if he comes back to the spring, he'd definitely be having to go up the Cox Plate again. Um, and who's to say he couldn't win another group one or two. So uh, anyway, for all those uh, baggers out there, you'd love to own him. He's won $8.3 million for his own. Yeah, that's it. I think uh, you just sort of have to show them the amount of prize money horses won sometimes. And uh, they're quick to quick to be quiet. But you're, you're right, the, the competition amongst those sort of mile or 1400 to 2000 meter horses in australia at the moment of course we haven't seen zaki yet this 
this year. Um, he's another one that you can throw into that mix. So exciting time. One horse that has been uh, at his best this year, mate, uh, that we don't know if we'll see again, Jackano. Uh, he, he won the what did he win the CFO before um, probably not having a run to suit in the Australian Guineas, but where's he? Does he go to a, an all-age stakes or or is it uh, pulled the plug and he's off to start? Yep, he's definitely off the all-age stakes. So he's a super colt. Um, as you mentioned, the Guineas didn't go to plan at all. He just put his head down as the barriers opened and on the back foot and he was in a non-winnable position. I think unless he, unless he was winks, he couldn't win from where he was the way the race was run. Damien Lane said he ran a huge race, like he was dynamic between the half mile and the 200, and then just petered out a little bit. So um, we are got we got five, I think five weeks between runs, six weeks between runs, six weeks between runs. So he had two weeks out. Paddock Water Walker freshened him up. Had his first gallop on Tuesday morning. Uh, went really well. Looks terrific. We got time for a trial, whether it's here at Cranbourne or in Sydney. Um, and then into the all age fresh, which is a perfect race for him. I think his pet distance is 1400 yeah. and he, he's proven to go Sydney way of going, having won the golden rose. So yeah, that's an obvious target for him. And then after that, it'll be up to the ownership group, whether he carries on um, or gets retired to start. And certainly it's a very easy call for him to retire him to start. There's not a lot of um, bulls going to start this year and he'd be very popular. Yeah. He's been so successful with a beautiful pedigree. Um, but the golden eagle was invented for horses like him to keep yeah. them and entice them into training for one more year. It's tailor-made for him, I think. You know, for $10 million, 1500 Rose Hill, tick, tick, tick. That'd yeah. be my that'd be my vote anyway. I was going to say, uh, he, it, it's an easy decision to go to stud, but there's also that $10 million carrots uh, just dangling there up for the keeping, up for the taking, I should say. Um Queensland, mates. Uh, I'm a Queenslander, so um, I'm always sort of got a keen eye looking towards these, uh, the big group ones. I think nominations will be out in a, in a couple of weeks for races like the Stradbroke and uh, the Kingston Smith Cup. Have you got a team coming up this way? Uh, we mentioned he's a shock is going to go the, I suppose, the traditional Dooman Cup path through the Hollandale Cup and then the, the new race, the Q22. But we've seen Ayrton come up here a couple of years ago. Have we got something else this year to keep an eye out on? Yeah, I think um, definitely he's a shocker for the you know, Hollandale Durman Cup Q22. Um, perhaps a horse like Gunstock could go that way as well. He's a very talented horse. He's had a couple of injuries, but he's seven starts for two group three wins. He's a serious horse if he stays sound. Got a rating of 96 already. Um, he's trialling on Monday. Um, a case of you might get up there for the sprints. And then one for me to keep an eye on is a horse called Fretter. F-E-R-T-T-A. She's by Frankel in OTI colours. She had one start for one win in a Sandown Maiden by three lengths. And she's a filly we'd like to get to the Queensland Oaks. Yeah. So she's trialling Monday. She's Northern Hemisphere bred. So she's actually six months behind okay. uh, age-wise. But come come June, she'll have caught up a fair way. And she's a, mm. real, she's a real talent. She's a very nice yeah. filly. So... We would potentially kick her off here with two runs. And if all was to go well, she might go into the Roses, into the Queensland Oaks. That'd be our dream anyway, if she stood up. And um, yeah, she's a gorgeous thing. Yeah, there's uh, there's plenty of nice prize money on offer up here at the moment too. So more, uh, plenty of reasons to come up, mate. Uh, 
wrap it up, but have you got a best bet for the the weekend? We usually do a what we call the tongue tied treble. So when we do have Brody here, it's a it's our three best bets. But uh, him and I will come up with one of ours over the next couple of days and put that up on our socials. But um, kick us off with the first leg of that treble, mate. Uh, my best or our best bet for the weekend is what you need at Flemington in race six. I hope you're right. He, he'll be anchoring a few multis, I think, around the country, especially if uh, Jason Warren's filly goes around on Friday night. Uh, it looks a real... Yeah, I, want to, I want her in there. Keep the price good. Keep yeah, price that's good. right. I've, I've already backed him and I'm like, oh, deductions, he'd, he'd start $1.80 otherwise. Okay. So let him, let him beat it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for joining us today, Michael. Uh, been a pleasure. Like I said earlier, plenty of pressure as well. Well, you know, you, you've got to get a winner. There's... Yeah, you're on a roll. That's right, on a roll. So we need to make it four in a row, but hopefully you're the man to do so. So thanks for coming on. Okay, thanks, Nick. See you. Thanks, Michael. Cheers.